Hello everybody and welcome back to this episode of Light Space Podcast. I have been away for a little while, apologies, you know how life goes, but I'm really excited about this episode. Um, I have an amazing speaker who's agreed to come on to Light Space, I'm really excited. Um, her name is Sunisha. Um, Sunisha? Hello, hi everyone, and thank you for having me, Rihanna. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Thank you for being here. Um, do you want to give the listeners a little bit of a background about yourself? Yes, I can do. So hi, everyone. Thank you. My name is Sunisha Winter. I'm a TEDx speaker. You can check out my TED Talk on YouTube. It's called Vulnerability is Your Superpower. I work as a diversity and inclusion consultant, and my role really is to further inclusion and advocate for marginalised people within the workplace. I've worked in various sectors across charity sector, finance, tech, um, all different types of industries. And I really do enjoy bringing inclusion into a workplace and seeing an impactful change. I identify as a black bi cis woman um, and I have borderline personality disorder and mixed anxiety and depressive disorder. And I think it's really important as a black woman who is coming into certain spaces and being able to access certain spaces to speak honestly and authentically about mental health to show others that we can live and thrive with whatever disorder we may have been diagnosed with it's not the end of um, the road when you have a disorder and that's a huge part of my work Um, outside of being a diversity and inclusion consultant I'm also a public speaker so I speak on mental health and my experiences and I like to take people through a bit of a journey um, from my childhood to my adulthood and the experiences I've had and how it has framed my narrative on the world and the importance of others being supportive to somebody who is like me. Lovely I really I love that I love that introduction I feel like you did every single point that I thought yes this is what I want to hear this is what life is about as well it's about I think the most important thing really about life is was to kind of promote mental health because I feel mm-hmm. like there's still a big stigma and I feel like people think they understand but in reality they don't um and I think it's so good to hear actually hear from lived experience yes. um and people's experiences and especially people that are like you said underrepresented in so many things you said you as you said you're a black woman or biases so those are definitely groups that we're not really you don't really have a voice do you really and the spaces that occupy it are can sometimes be quite it can be quite intimidating um to talk about your own personal experience within those spaces so like I said I feel honored to have you on light space I really do Um, (laughs) so my first kind of question for you really is how did it feel when you was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder and you say you had mixed just correct me if I'm wrong do you say you had mixed anxiety anxiety mixed anxiety and depressive disorder basically the disorder where they feel like you've got a lot of problems but they're not quite sure where you fit so we'll just uh, say you're struggling with anxiety and depressive depression as well and pray for the best figure it out (laughs) right okay 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 so yeah how how did you feel when you was diagnosed oh so when I was diagnosed it was an interesting experience um because I was sent a letter to my house after being assessed um by a uh, a mental health psychiatrist and um basically it's important I think it's I'll give you a sort of journey or two yeah perfect because I think it really helps um everyone gain an understanding of how the NHS works from a community mental health point and um I was 24 when I was diagnosed so I was very young very early on in my career so and I'm working class so I definitely couldn't afford private therapy yeah I was feeling a lot after university with panic attacks um feeling suicidal attempting to take my own life and I was in a really difficult and dark place I really struggled to um to see how I would live beyond 25 I that was my um age goal at a younger time and so I've definitely surpassed that now and I'm glad to have done that but um that was a milestone for me when I was struggling I went to my doctor a few times and uh they do the thing of oh maybe you should work out a bit more your BMI mm-hmm. is a bit high yeah or um 
but you speak so well so you know yeah emotionally attuned with your in tune with yourself so you seem okay even though I was dealing with all this turmoil so I felt like my pain wasn't seen yeah so I kept pushing it because I was I was suicidal I I want I didn't want to be on this planet anymore and I really was struggling with going into work crying at my desk every day crying on the tube just living a dark and depressed life and it wasn't being seen or recognized by um my GP unfortunately however after pressing it and going there multiple times and being sent away sometimes with a few um I'd like to call them happy pills diazepam yeah you know, yeah actually dealing with the core trauma and I needed therapies to deal with the trauma that I was um living through and sitting in and sitting on and not addressing so I went to the doctor again and he referred me to uh, cognitive behavioral therapy and CBT, um, that's the abbreviation of it, um, is basically six weeks of a talking therapy to help you understand how your behaviors could potentially be affecting your mind and vice versa. It was not in depth enough. And when I first met the person who was um, basically deciding whether CBT was the right choice for me, um, this community mental health nurse, on meeting me and hearing just a few things about me and not even the full chapter of the dark life I've managed to strive through. But just hearing a few things, she said, no, can't do CBT, you've got way too much trauma. She referred me back to my GP. And then um, from that referral, I was referred to a community mental health team, which took months and months to happen. Um, And uh, I was seen by multiple different sites psychiatrist and after a few weeks I was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder and mixed anxiety and depressive disorder. Um, I received that diagnosis in a letter so it was sent to my house so it wasn't explained to me. Right okay yeah. The assessment so I went to the community mental health team to say you've diagnosed me with this, I've googled this and it basically says I'm finished. What are you doing? Yeah. And really just thinking, what, like, how have you diagnosed with me with this? Like, it doesn't make sense because there is a lot of stigmatizing information out on borderline personality disorder in general. Yeah. And it really says that one, you're a messed up person, two, you messed up others, and three, everybody should run far away from you. And yeah. that's not my personality and that's not my energy. And so I thought, are you wrong? Was you listening to me? And um, it was quite a di- difficult diagnosis to get my head around. But when, when I looked at the different characteristics an individual can have and why somebody can be diagnosed outside of the stigmatizing forums that people were sharing their views on borderline personality disorder, but just looking at the different cr- traits that a person with um, borderline personality disorder has, it all started to make sense, really. It, it made perfect sense. Right. Wow. Okay. And it's really interesting that you said that in terms of like how you got your diagnosis, because I, mm. I used to work in community mental health, so I know how it is in terms of telling people their diagnosis and etc etc um and I do feel like not telling someone in a letter is really difficult because like you said naturally you're going to google everything and not the funny thing google will tell you everything bad it's like when you google if you're if you think if you've got a sore throat it tells you you're dying or something it's like (laughs) it's the worst thing so I can't even imagine how um you were feeling and also I like the fact that you kind of point the fact that they I think people with personality disorders which I agree with that it is this different kind of stigma, isn't it? Because mm-hmm. I, used to, like I said, I used to work in the community. So I worked in um community mental health for a couple of years, and quite a lot of my residents actually um was diagnosed with personality borderline personality disorder and antisocial personality disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, and they used to say the same thing to me, like it's like that's like the worst mental health diagnosis you can get because mm-hmm. people don't like working with people with personality disorder. Mm-hmm. and it's really interesting to hear like your experience from the other side of saying that you genuinely thought wow mm-hmm. like how how is this mm-hmm. how is this me did you feel like a little bit of um relief 
when you kind of to understand your feelings? I was relieved because, and unfortunately, it takes a severe diagnosis such as borderline personality disorder to get the help that an individual needs. Uh, and um, it, I was saddened at that part that the point of my mental health had to decline to the point yeah. and um, I didn't get the support I potentially needed years ago yeah. to potentially avoid this harm and trauma on my brain maybe it would have helped, maybe it wouldn't but I did feel um, quite frustrated at the beginning because I thought I've done everything right I've gone to university I've pushed down all my trauma um I grew up um uh so I grew up with a uh, my nan has schizophrenia and so I witnessed um severe mental health illness mm. at a very very young age and I witnessed that frightening behavior and it always made me afraid of being diagnosed with something or being diagnosed in the same way yeah so I was very concerned about my mental health and I was going to my doctors because I was afraid that I would potentially display the same pain that I witnessed my nan go through. And um, bless her heart, like she doesn't talk about her mental health. Nobody in my family talked about it. I found out she had schizophrenia and a diabetes appointment in, in my 20s, even though she's right. had for years. But I just witnessed a lot of behavior as a child, a yeah. lot of harmful behavior, and nobody was talking about it. And so quite a few of my family members either have psychosis, depression, bipolar, and it's potentially a cause of, and it's a generational trauma mm-hmm. of not intervention from mental health services yeah. enough to support us. Really. I agree. And that's a lot. And that I, I, I actually hit the nail on, my, on the head. Because my big thing and what I noticed like in my previous role was the fact that I felt like a lot of people, if they got the help when they needed it, as someone mm-hmm. had stepped in, it wouldn't have deteriorated to the point where somebody needs to be sectioned or detained under the Mental Health Act because they deteriorated so badly that it's now a cause for concern for themselves or others. And mm-hmm. I think that's kind of what we're, we're missing. I think the early intervention. We need early intervention. I know... A lot of mental health teams, obviously you've got certain mental health teams that will do like early intervention in psychosis, et cetera, et cetera. But with, unfortunately, like the NHS, everything is just long. <laughs> Everything's a waiting list. Everything is long. You have yeah. a person that's been on that early intervention list for when they, when they, when they kind of noticed that something maybe wasn't right with them or they felt like they needed to kind of explore that with a mental health professional. They're on a waiting list for five months before you know it, that person's been sectioned because all those feelings they felt, it just wasn't getting addressed. Yeah, when it should have yeah. been got addressed, and that's my big thing. I also feel like, which is kind of a, a couple of my questions later on, but you kind of we kind of we can speak about it now. Is I feel like with black people, unfortunately, we're not taken seriously. So yeah. it was very interesting to me when you said about you going to your GP and them them not really listening to you. Yeah. And I think that is a really common theme. It's coming out a lot more, even within the physical health side of things. Um, mental health as well is coming out a lot more that doctors are just not especially when it comes to black women or black male they're not listening to us they feel mm. like one we can we, we, we're imagining things i don't know why one we're imagining things and two um our pain can't be that serious <laughs> because we, yeah. we somehow can't feel that because i don't know what we're super we're super humans or something apparently that mm. people that are that black people don't feel pain when we do is yeah. we, we're human beings of course we're going to feel pain especially traumatic pain as well and I think um it's really interesting that you said that like your GP just wasn't I like the fact that you said they were saying oh go do workout because it's so <laughs> easy for it's so easy for people to say oh go to the gym you'll feel better or yeah. go and have a walk you'll feel better and not really understanding because you're not listening to what that person is trying to say mm-hmm. Yeah, um, exactly. Think, yeah, and I feel like you really hit the nail on the head. And also talking about, um, obviously, your family history as well. And that's, this is what I was actually going to say, which is kind of my next question. So I feel like we can go into it is, how did your family and friends kind of react when they learned of your diagnosis? Was you very open with them? Um, did you kind of cover it up a little bit or not speak about it? Especially with your family. Because obviously you said about your nan's diagnosis. Did you feel like you had to not say anything because that's what you've kind of seen and that's what you've learned? Or do you feel like you were trying to change the status quo and you were trying to break that and just be open about it? 
To be honest, Rihanna, and I'm going to be very honest, because of how I am, and I think this is a stigma of this high functioning slash low functioning, because I'm deemed, you know, I've got a career, I work Mm -hmm. 40 plus, sometimes 60 hours a week, depending on the different things I'm doing, I'm seen as fine. Right. So even though my family knows I've got this diagnosis, I because of all the, like I said, the generational trauma that has affected all of us, which so many different types of trauma happening to so many of my family members or many of us at the same time, because of that, I'm seen as the strong one, even within my family. So yes, they are aware I have this diagnosis. Yes, they know I speak on different platforms. I write about it. I, you know, um, educate others about it. I speak to them about it but it's not a conversation we open up. And I'm particularly mindful that for some of my family members, then the way talking about mental health makes them feel uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. It's not my my goal to harm. It's always open. And that's the way it is with me. Um, With my closer family members, like my siblings, I'm the oldest of eight siblings, but particularly for my sisters, who are just a few years behind me, I'm very much wanting to explore the mental health conversation and unpick that, but I am the support system for my family. So do I feel supported by them in regards to my mental health? No. Right. Yeah, that's really interesting that you said that actually, because I feel like it's again the high functioning, because people on the outside feel like you're doing so well, how can you possibly be unwell? And mm. that is the link, I think, between people not understanding mental health yes. and not understanding mental health issues. Because, and I feel like this is another stigma that, again, I feel like, as, especially as Black people, we have to try and break. Because if you genuinely feel that because somebody is doing okay in different aspects of their life doesn't mean that they can't, be, can't have a mental illness or can't be mentally not feeling right, this is why we need education. Just to, mm. just to understand and give an understanding of what it's like. Um, what about your friends? Are you open with your friends? Are they a little bit more easy um, to talk to? So friends, um, I think as well, because I've turned this narrative on, even how I describe myself, I, I describe myself as like the oldest of eight. I see myself as a very matriarchal figure within my family and sometimes in, within my friendship group, like obviously I'm a hot mess. I like to have fun, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, I, I'm seen as um, the strong one. So it's very hard to, because they know I've gone through certain things. Yeah. Um, it's very hard at times to admit when I'm in pain. But for my closest, closest friends, I do try to share that experience but I, I still struggle to open up about my mental health on a very day-to-day level. And for me, with borderline personality disorder, I go through pain every day. Like it's a yes. fight to be the Sanisha that everyone knows and loves and respects. There's a lot of ugliness that I have to deal with in the mornings or potentially late at night in the evenings to continue being the face that everyone expects to show up and bring a light into the room that's it's very hard work that I have to do and um, right. it can be yeah it, I, I, I would love to be and I do think I've grown a lot more on being more open with my friends but it's a continuous journey because I've grown up with knowing that talking about your mental health is either putting a burden on other people or you're letting the world know that you're imperfect and I think as black people and black women as partic- in particular we have a narrative, the strong black woman narrative placed on yeah. us because yeah. to have a level of perfection that's impossible to attain. And yeah. so I'm having to do so much inner work to heal that narrative within myself every day. And it's a constant journey, even though I'm a mental health advocate, I still have to recognize that that, that is a barrier in me speaking out as often as I could. No, 100%. I do agree with you. I feel like when you have that black woman, because I'm going to kind of talk to you about actually being a black woman in mental health. Um, for like, because as black women, we do have that strong woman narrative. And I'm, I'm very similar to you. I'm, a, I'm the oldest. So I mm. definitely understand where you're coming from, where people look to you as their support system, because naturally, 
you're the oldest, you do quite well in your career, you feel like, you look like, you feel like you've got everything under control. When in reality, it's just not, it's just not, <laughs> it's just not that at all. Because we all have our days, don't we? And I feel like, I feel like it's, you've obviously done a well because you can speak out on it now, but I also do understand what you mean, where sometimes you feel like you have to kind of not maybe go into it into too much detail. Because I feel mm. like, do you feel like there's also that fear and I think it is with black people that fear of shame and stigma still. Fear that you may say something quite deep to your friends, specifically or your family, and not and them and being fearful that they're either one gonna look at you a little bit differently or two run for the hills. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Like there's still that kind of should I say this? And if I do say this, will they feel like they can't be around me anymore? Do you know what I'm trying to say? Do you feel like yeah. Do you feel like yeah, that? I definitely, I definitely understand what you're trying to say, and I, I think for for me, um, I've grown on that. So it's much more of people who are newer into my life, and so when they I'm first getting to know them, or maybe they're a friend that has known me for years, but they've known me in a certain capacity, and so I keep people yeah. quite distant from me. But the everyday sort of people that have seen the highs, the lows that I can't hide um the shame has been reduced and um but yeah I would say that's that's been a lot of work that's only really happened in the last two years maybe even the last year where I've really started opening up about what it's like living with borderline personality disorder how it skews my thoughts how I can't trust some of my thoughts sometimes or yes. my perception on the world and um really just trying to help them gain a stronger understanding but I think because of who I am I don't think the respect that they have for me is reduced and yeah but unfortunately it shouldn't it shouldn't take because of who I am that that's yeah. what it is but um it is that is what it is <laughs> that's, no, I that's, get what it. <laughs> that's some people's reality isn't it the fact that if I say for example especially I think people that um are diagnosed I know a lot of people that are diagnosed with schizophrenia feel like that they feel like mm they can't be open about their diagnosis because naturally if you don't understand mental health and you don't really and you don't know you naturally when some, when you hear someone oh it's being diagnosed with schizophrenia people automatically think of things that they've seen on tv or yeah. newspaper headlines or whatever basically vilifying the fact that somebody has schizophrenia so oh my god that if they have schizophrenia they're now going to want to kill me or they're going to that they don't understand the basis of it because they naturally just think about what they see in the media or xyz so they naturally feel like they can't be open about open about their diagnosis because they have a, a feeling of shame and fear that people mm-hmm. are going to turn their backs on them and feel like no that person got schizophrenia i can't be around that person because i just don't know if i if i can trust their instincts or their judgment when mm-hmm. really and truly it's actually not that <laughs> and if you and i think that's why the conversations are so important to have for people to understand and get a, a bit of an understanding and understand mm. that when you are diagnosed with something say for example like um borderline personality disorder schizophrenia or any of the other mental health um diagnosis it's not like and i like when you said it's not the end of the world it's not the end of the road you can mm. be fully functioning and diagnosed with mental disorder and be and and still function mm-hmm. i think people think of these things and think oh my god that person's probably going to be sectioned or they're not going to be allowed out or they're going to be in prison or do you know what i mean like the, the complete end of the spectrum when in reality it's not really that at times yeah and like for me I've never been sectioned um and that's why when I did get the diagnosis I was kind of like are you sure you didn't mix my notes up with somebody else um (laughs) like (laughs) I've never been arrested like there's a lot of different stigmas that come with having borderline personality disorder that I don't tick those boxes Mm. and it's not the same thing for anyone who does but for me I was thinking that you have to display a certain amount of aggressive violent harmful behavior to be diagnosed with Mm. this um, disorder but that's just the stigma and stereotypes that are out there that frame that narrative when really you can be like myself. I'm a very introverted person, um, but a very, um, a very happy one. Yeah. And, uh, my borderline personality disorder makes me live in a la la land of, you know, this is Tanisha's world and everything's great. Um, and it's hard when it doesn't feel like that. And it's just something that I have to get used to. I have to get used to, um, 
not being the main character sometimes <laughs> yeah okay that's interesting actually that's a really interesting I actually um, I'm gonna kind of go into a little bit later about your symptoms that's actually really interesting that you said that um cool so do you feel going back to the kind of your story do you feel like as a black woman you were taken seriously mm, no um so as I said, I was speaking to multiple different um, medical professionals when I was on this battle to get either diagnosed and even post-diagnosis. So after I was diagnosed, um, when I was reaching out for support, I remember speaking to um, this other black woman and um, she said, come on, sister, you just need to pray. You are so strong. And I think she was really trying to big me up in that moment. But mm-hmm. I would like me my path with God is not your concern right now. Mm-hmm. I just need mental health support. That's mm-hmm. what I came for. I didn't Was she a mental health professional? Yeah, yeah. Wow, yeah. okay, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and I think she was trying to build, you know, like a sisterly space. Yeah. But it wasn't appropriate. I wasn't asking for that. And um, so it can happen by our own as well of, oh, sister, come on, don't let the, don't let, yeah. let don't let, don't let the side down. Look at you doing well in your career. Keep going, push yourself uh. up. It's not helpful because I know when I'm on the verge of a breakdown and when I'm telling you I'm on the verge of a breakdown, best believe it's my last resort. If I'm yeah. saying something, it's not because I'm saying it because I'm bored or I'm tired or I need a break from work. It's because... I am in severe pain. And that's how you're feeling, yeah. It's really interesting, actually, that you said that it actually can come from our own, because I don't... I think sometimes people, black people, don't realise that. That actually can be your own. And I had an earlier... Like, in my earlier podcast episodes, I actually had a conversation with a black psychologist. Mm. Um, and he was saying that, as black people, sometimes it's hard to see our own people. So we would, so you say things like... Especially if you're... Um, are, you Car- are you Caribbean? Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, my family's Jamaican. Oh, okay. So you come from African or Caribbean background, and the first thing that our parents or grandparents would say would be pray. <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And it's like, and it's really interesting. You said that a mental health professional said that because naturally they're meant to be non-biased. You're not meant to give. You're meant to do it on your clinical judgment, not mm. based on the person's race, ethnicity, religion, X, Y, Z. So it's really interesting that you said that it actually can come from our own. So I feel like that is an issue we have within the black community is that we're very quick to minimize our own mental health by saying you need to pray i think yeah. everyone's well aware that if you if you are because some people might not even be religious um it's very mm. obvious that we that we probably put some of really probably prayed and they have understood that the prayer is not right now that's not what they need they need actual clinical medical advice and help mm-hmm. and yeah, i feel like exactly. it's really important that you said that actually just to know that it does come from it may it comes from white doctors but it also will come from black mental health professionals as well yeah. so do you feel like post-diagnosis you were taken a little bit more seriously or do you feel like it still was the case oh no diagnosis? way no way even now even now so recently oh, really? I've, yeah 100 <laughs> percent. it's a hot mess um, it's a hot mess um, and <laughs> because i can advocate for myself i'm mm. able to communicate in a certain way i'm seen as like i said if needs to get in the bin unhelpful Right, okay. But um with regards to the the doctor the doctors um not really understanding just when I'm asking for help and I'm saying, Oh, I'm experiencing this symptom now. I, I reported I was experiencing a new symptom of um hallucinations recently, um mm-hmm. in September. And obviously, like I said, I'm very mindful of my mental health because of what I've witnessed around my family members. Yeah. So I spoke to, I've spoken to different um, psychiatrists, etc. but it's taken such a long process to get me seen by somebody uh, long-term. They're doing all this investigating right now. And that's almost 12 months for somebody who is diagnosed with borderline personality disorder already. So regardless of diagnosis, and obviously, yes, we're in a pandemic, but even mm-hmm. virtual therapy, et cetera, et cetera, can run something to let me know that I'm not by myself. But I feel like they wait until you're at crisis point yeah. to really um, decide how much help they can or will give you, which is so unfortunate mm. really, in our community. 
I, I listen. That's probably one of my my gripes. I've been griping about this. I think since I started working in the mental health field, that was maybe like eight years eight years ago. I used to do voluntary work um, with people diagnosed with personality disorders, and one of my things, and I kept saying, was you cannot wait till somebody is in, is in crisis to help them because it's not helpful. <laughs> it's not. It doesn't. It's it doesn't not help helpful. It's really harmful, you know what I mean? It really lets Really up. harmful, really harmful. Because at that point, that person is scared, angry, and again, just scared. That's the one thing I can think of is fear. Because you, you, you've been feeling like this for a while. You've been saying it to people. People are not listening. People are not listening. People are not listening. And then finally, wow, you're at crisis point. Now people are listening, but they're not listening the way you want them to listen. Exactly. But, That's what's harmful. Because they're now listening in ways of, okay, potentially we have to section or potentially you have to be detained or you've got police. Do you know what I mean? It could be in, in so many different ways how, why they're not listening. And I do agree with you. It's so harmful. Um, so I do hope that it gets better for you in that, in that way because I do feel it is harmful. And it's not fair either. It's not fair. And I do understand, like, you know, we're in a pandemic and I do understand that mental health is on the, inc- is on the rise. And I do understand waiting this and the NHS. I get it. But at the same time, what, what are people meant to do? Mm. And there's a disparity in services as well, because when I speak to uh, white people with um, borderline personality disorder, the support they receive, they, they ask me, oh, so how come you haven't done this type of therapy? Or why didn't they offer you this? Or why haven't you got a care coordinator? We are given the bare minimum. Care coordinator. Exactly. Wow. Sorry? You don't have a care coordinator? No, no, no. I've never, wow. ever. That's interesting. That's I didn't even know that was a thing. I didn't even know that was a thing. So wow. what I'm saying it's harmful is the disparity of treatment because they, they're either waiting for me to, and it's not like, I, I, I just don't know. I just don't know why my treatment has been so different, but with only one other, and I speak to, I have a great community now of people with um, borderline personality disorder. Yeah. And only one other black person that I know has a care coordinator. And this person, um, this person um, is, they've been really harmed by the mental health services. So I'm not sure if they did that to shut them up. But, you know, like, there's just, there's no, there's no support generally for us. It's, it's sad. That's really sad. Because, you know, it's even more sad because... Black people are more likely to be sectioned than their white counterparts. They're more likely to be detained under the Mental Health Health Act by their white counterparts. And these are the reasons why, because you lot aren't giving them the support that they need in the beginning, like you're giving their white counterparts. Mm-hmm. Which is probably why the figures are so high, if we're being completely honest. Mm-hmm. And it's really sad. I just, I didn't even, I can't believe that you haven't got a care coordinator. Because like I said, working in the community team, that's one thing that I think everybody needs. If you're in a community mental health team, you need a care coordinator. Because how else is anything else going to get done? <laughs> like... I've never had that. I've never had that. And you you know, you... you And I think when I was first... I, like I said, I was diagnosed quite a few years ago now. Oh, um, nice. But I really started to blame myself on why I wasn't getting any help. The way that I felt like I should have or should have been getting help. And now I know how much help can be given others who happen to be white and I do think there is racism within the mental health service. 100%. 100%. I do think there is so much health inequity and and again it it feeds back to that whole you seem and the way you come across you can survive and why why are they waiting for me to break? That's what I do. So it's 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 very it's very damaging. It's very harmful. Sometimes you can put the blame on yourself. Like maybe I'm not advocating right for myself. Maybe I should have said this, but it's not my job to yeah, say it's not myself when I reach out to a professional. It's for the medical professional to tell mm-hmm. me what I need or what I should be, um, you know, supported with. And um, that's not been done, unfortunately. No, I agree with you, and that's really. I'm I'm sorry that you're even going through that because you shouldn't and it's sad because that should not be your that should not be your experience in my personal opinion anyway I don't think it should be your experience at all so I feel really sad that you're going through that and hopefully things get better 
in the mm-hmm. long run as well. So my next kind of question was, do you think you can kind of give us um, like an insight into your diagnosis and like symptoms, just in case we have any listeners that are listening and, you know, may want to understand it a little bit more? Yeah, definitely. And um, as I said before, there was so many so much stigmatizing information out there on borderline personality disorder so I would encourage anyone to avoid reading forums anything about couples with BPD people who are talking about BPD but don't have lived experience of it just avoid that because um, there's a lot of trauma that can exist within that space and come out it's also important to know and I recently found this out that a person or people with BPD can display over 250 characteristics. So wow. there's many different ways that we can just, you know, obviously there's nine specific kind of traits that um, can help us be diagnosed with the disorder, but the way we behave yeah. and the yeah. way we go about our life, there is so many different ways that we, we live and we're very unique people. And it's important to know that because just like when I was diagnosed, I was like, but I haven't done this or I haven't done this or I've seen this on the Google people being violent in this way. So it's really important to know that um, we're not a monolith. We're not just like one type of group. For me personally, um, and I think this is how I grew up. So I grew up with um, and still currently do have a very strained relationship with my um, dad and I felt abandoned by him at a very young age. And the key trait, one of the traits that they use to diagnose you is how worried people feel about being abandoned oh. and whether how much you would do to stop that happening. And I think that links back to my, my relationship with my dad. So what, that trait is definitely me like all over because... Um, I really, I really much try to hold on to people or I push people to, away when I feel like um, I am potentially going to lose them. Right. Okay. Have, sorry? No, I'll disagree. I'll just listen to yourself. Yeah. <laughs> I have very um, intense sort of emotions as well. I can get very, very, very sad and very, very, very happy. And it's like extremes. Um, and it, my emotions can change from, you, you know, just a few hours or some days I can be and I'm currently on a high, which is it's a nice wave to ride. But sometimes when the lows are low, you feel like you've never been high before. And when like, I'm currently in a good place, so I can't relate to my sad self. It's just like right. a shell of me that sometimes exists. And uh, yeah, it can be quite difficult to imagine myself harming myself like it doesn't feel like that's me unfortunately and then I think that links nicely to the next sort of um characteristic trait that you would uh, in that would indicate that you have BPD is you don't have a strong sense of who you are and I think for me growing up I felt out of place due to racism that I experienced as a child um, growing up in various different areas, lived in a refuge. I didn't. I was homeless as a child as well. I didn't have a stable home. We moved into multiple different areas, different schools. I also am bisexual, and so I hid a lot of my, well, I hid my sexual identity from my family, but I hid a lot of myself, um, depending on what spaces I was in, because it wasn't a safe space for me to be my whole self and bring my whole self there so there's many things that I think link into that not having a strong sense of who I am I am um, yeah I was abused as a child and I didn't talk about it until I was 24 mental health therapy helped with that but not being able to really unpick or live in my trauma meant that I didn't really acknowledge my childhood and how it framed this person that I am today and so I left many of my years behind, unfortunately. So that definitely weakened my sense of self. I definitely find it very hard to make and keep stable relationships. I mean, I can keep a relationship, but to keep a strong, stable and supportive and healthy relationship is 
something I'm still on the pursuit of happiness towards. <laughs> wow. With friends, though, I definitely, I'm very blessed because I have so many different friends and friendship groups and I feel like I can build strong relationships friendship wise but romantically I think I um, idealize that person and and then devalue that person very quickly Um, it's described as a favorite person with borderline personality disorder so you obsess about this person because then you become afraid they're going to abandon you so you push them away or you're not necessarily supportive and it's a process um another key thing is feeling empty a lot of the time and I remember feeling like you know I was just a ghost living life like um I don't know how to describe it but you 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 ever walk down or through a busy high street and you're just like people are just maybe like people bumping into it people but I'm just walking and I'm just walking past all these people all these stories all these voices all these experiences that people are having and I'm just just walking and I felt like I walked blindly through life sometimes I dissociate a lot so I feel outside of my physical and mental self at times because of the trauma that I face so I don't necessarily I'm not present all the time um, which can be quite difficult because, yeah, you feel like a living ghost, which is really hard to admit to yourself, but it's true. And then um, there are some things that, you know, I'm quite impulsive, so I can definitely either um, binge drink or, you know, like just I'm just not necessarily the best adult at times. Obviously, sometimes it's really fun, but I shouldn't really admit <laughs> that. But sometimes it's really fun. <laughs> It is. I'm here for a good time, not a long time. Sometimes because I act impulsively, and I'm very aware of that. Um, and then obviously with borderline personality disorder, people have suicide ideation, so they think about suicide a lot. Um, and I still have that, unfortunately, and um, I haven't self harmed in a long time. But that is something that um, a person with borderline personality disorder can display, and. I have very, 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 very strong feelings of anger um, and I'm very cagey about things that are my own. So if I lose my keys or my phone, it's a distressing time for everyone. Please leave the room. Please leave the country, you know, run away because (laughs) I'm I'm an angry bird at that point. (laughs) (laughs) And those are really my key symptoms and they all align with how I do. Wow. Thank you for that. That's really, it's really interesting because it's really interesting to see how, because everybody's just so different, aren't they? Mm And what are their symptoms and stuff. So thank you for giving such a really detailed insight. And I think my next question is like, so do you, are you, do you manage your um, borderline personality sort of with medication or is it a case of you kind of, what do you kind of do if you feel unwell or you ever feel yourself going into like the negative, a negative space, you can feel yourself, what, what do you do? Okay, really good question. So I used to be on medication. Um, Unfortunately, it triggered a lot of that feeling empty, a lot of the time feeling, which is a negative symptom for me. And um, it numbed my emotions. So how we're laughing now, I I, I wasn't able to laugh or really engage in humour the same. And I'm a very jokey person. I can talk about a lot of heavy things but my heart is always trying to find the humor in things. And I couldn't find that joy on medication and different types of medication as well. I felt like it numbed my personality and I didn't like myself on it. So um, I weaned myself off after a few years being on medication. And now um, I do enjoy exercise. <laughs> I actually do. <laughs> you know, I don't, you know, it's, you know when you roll your eyes when a medical professional says it to you, but no, yeah. I actually do enjoy um, <laughs> releasing some endorphins. It's just, I, it's just depend. It's, it depends on the right time of when you're being told it and how. Yeah. Um, like when you're in crisis point, if I'm crying and screaming and hysterical, running on a treadmill is not yeah. going to help you're me. Not you know? to yeah, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not trying to do no sit ups when I'm distressed. But yeah, the day to day when I am in a positive place. Um, uh, to manage my moods and to keep my endorphins up 
I do do um, fun dance workouts because I really enjoy to dance. So I find things that I enjoy. I did do jogging for a while and, you know, like different things to just really help um, my mood stay stable. I love my shows, um, but it, um, and I really enjoy like um, cups of teas, baths, you know, different things that I personally really enjoy that make me feel warm and fuzzy on the inside is really good for maintaining a positive mood but when I'm in a bad place it's really important for me to one remind myself that I like to give myself affirmations to remind myself that I I deserve to be alive and I think it sounds so you know extreme but I can reach that point of suicide so Mm -hmm. quickly compared to the average person um, because I have been there before so it's very easy for me to open that door again unfortunately and so I have to ground myself in how and reminding myself and what I've either um what makes me happy like whether it's family or whatever is positive in my life in that place and that I still want to be here I have to um potentially hold something cold to shock my system um to distract my mind um, maybe sit in a really cold shower or, or like have the water running over me just to distract my mind from any thoughts of self-harm because that's like an immediate crisis thing. And then to actually speak to people and I don't like to cry on the phone or anything like that. It's not my personality. I'm rather, I'd rather cry on my own, but yeah. it's, a, it's a risky slope. And so I have to embrace being vulnerable with others and allow others to take care of me in my dial points because I do do the same for them day by day. Wow, thank you so much for that. You really, I'm just speechless because I just feel like it's, it's just so interesting to hear. Um, <laughs> like thank you. In terms of like just understanding, just, just getting that level of understanding. Mm. So thank you so much for that. And I think my last question before we kind of give it end is like, so what advice would you kind of give to people who are maybe where you were, do you say in your early 20s um, or your late teens, what kind of advice would you give to people? Anybody that's listened to this that may that kind of may see themselves in you 20 years ago, oh, 20 years ago, sorry, in your early 20s. Um, <laughs> years ago, you know, yeah, aging me. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, girl. <laughs> but um, no, I, I think it's really important when you know you are going through something um, to not be turned away by, um, you know, doctors or people misunderstanding you. If Get a second opinion. Change your doctor's surgery if they're not helpful or trying to be supportive about your mental health. I know it can feel like a huge task when you're going through it, but I've learned in this life, and unfortunately I have to give you this advice, we have to fight for ourselves because... People will not fight for us. People will not fight for us at the same level as what we would want them to. And it's really important to admit to yourself when you know I'm going through something. And um, not many of us think when we are struggling, oh, I'm at this place of suicide. I know because I've been there. But until you've gotten there, until you know your triggers, until you know what that sort of feeling feels like, it's very difficult to understand how you're moving towards a state of depression. And so it's really important to keep talking to people who you trust and finding a space where you can share your emotions, unpick your emotions, journal how your emotions are changing or... um, how you feel different and what feels different. So when you are describing it to medical professionals, they aren't just fobbing you off with have a jog, but they're <laughs> understanding there's a pattern of negative experiences if you feel like you are in a negative place and you feel like you're going through um, um, a severe state of depression. Obviously, if it, you know, we all have down days and uh-huh. you can do the little uplifting task to help us, but I'm talking about and specifically for people going through severe mental health illnesses or problems to to journal it and whether that's you speaking into your phone some because sometimes I couldn't type I couldn't do anything I couldn't write 
but uh, I would record my voice and then when I would like kind of just like push my feelings down or kind of forget like how bad I felt I would listen back to it and think this person's in so much pain that person's me how did I not know I was hurting like this and what am I going to do about it who am I going to speak to and ask yourself these questions because unfortunately unlike physical health nobody can tell what you're dealing with at face value and nobody will know the journey of emotions that you've gone on or, or are going on or, or experiencing just by seeing you for a quick coffee having a quick drink at a pub nobody will know so it's important for you to know for yourself so know yourself that's the who thing for me is know yourself and be true to yourself get the help that you deserve and need when you need it and um don't take no for an answer and reject all stereotypes wow and on that note girl <laughs> <laughs> that was a lot of advice but hopefully no, it's amazing <laughs> and on that note i just want to say a really big thank you just for being on the show and just for telling us about your experience. I know it can sometimes be quite difficult, but just thank you so much. Like, I really appreciate it. And I know everybody that's going to be listening is probably going to be like me and just sit thinking, oh my gosh, this girl is a rock star. You're actually <laughs> a rock star. And I just, yeah, I'm just thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, um, thank you for having me. Um, there's not much else I can say, but just a big thank you. And I hope... I do hope things get better for you in terms of your post-diagnosis. And I do hope that people that are going to listen to this, even if it's one person to understand that, like you said, fight for yourself, advocate for yourself and just understand that you're not alone in this journey. And hopefully by that, we can try and break down the stigma of mental health, especially within the black community, because I think that's what's needed. Um, so yeah, just a really big thank you. I don't know if you want to tell the view, um, the listeners where they can find you. If they wanted to have a little bit more about your journey, I know you said in the beginning you have a um, you do a TED talk. Yes, yeah. So, um, so you, you can Google me, Instagram me, Twitter me, LinkedIn me. My name is Sanisha Winter on all those different profiles. Um, my TED talk is "Vulnerability Is Your Superpower." Uh, I recently did that with the University of Bristol. I was super proud and pleased oh, about up. that TED talk and um yes connect or connect with me I, I love talking about mental health I'm trying to do yeah I'm one of those people that kind of hated social media because I didn't know how to use it unfortunately <laughs> but I'm <laughs> learning it's a learning process I can't be great at everything so um do connect with me I'm happy to uh, talk more and um or guide to resources that I'm aware for aware of from a professional and personal sort of standpoint but I just want to say thank you for listening and um yeah I will definitely link um everything your social so if anybody's interested please on the podcast just click the link and it will direct you directly to um Sanisha's social media but it's a really big thank you like thank you so much I just can't stop saying thank you because I'm just in (laughs) awe so thank you so much for your time I really appreciate it all right take care bye bye